BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Not going on today. America has been poisoned and needs an antidote. I want to share that story with you in just a moment. Grifter Steve Bannon, who was pardoned by grifter Donald Trump, surrendered to New York authorities. He'll be out on his own recognizance, almost certainly. But he's being charged with fraud and ripping off Trump humpers. I mean, this is so weird and sad and ironic. I'll tell you about that story after the break here. And also a far right-wing judge has ruled that HIV drug coverage violates religious freedom. Seriously, I'll tell you about that. There's some very bizarre and convoluted logic there, but you know, there it is. So let me start with America has been poisoned. This is my op-ed today over at HartmanReport.com. And in fact, it's titled, America has been poisoned, where's the antidote? And we've been poisoned in a number of ways. I mean, first came the poison of the corruption of politics with big money. This goes back to Lewis Powell in 1971, writing the infamous Powell memo, in which he argued that uh, Ralph Nader was a threat to the American free enterprise system. In fact, this is a quote from the Powell memo, quote, Perhaps the single most effective antagonist of American business is Ralph Nader, who, largely thanks to the media, has become a legend in his own time and an idol of millions of Americans. Uh, Ralph Nader, who, by the way, wrote the foreword to my book, The Hidden History of Monopolies, How Big Business Destroyed the American Dream. Ralph and people like Rachel Carlson, who wrote the environmental book Science, Silent Spring, which kicked off the environmental movement, were believe, you know, believed, actually believed, Lewis Powell, uh, he believed that they were, they were threatening the core of America's free enterprise system. Uh, he said the, the overriding first need is for businessmen to recognize that the ultimate issue may be survival, survival of what we call the free enterprise system and all that this means for the strength and prosperity of America and the freedom of our people. His answer Rich people and giant corporations need to jump into politics with both feet. Keep in, 19, keep in mind, in 1971, corporations didn't give money to politicians, by and large. Lobby, you know, there were only a couple thousand lobbyists in Washington, D.C. Now there's like 30,000. It was not a big business or a big industry. In fact, it was heavily regulated going all the way back to 1907 with the Tillman Act that made it a federal felony for any corporation to give any sort of money or support to any candidate for federal office. 
It was illegal. So the next year, Richard Nixon put Lewis Powell on the Supreme Court, and ta-da, six years later in 1978, Lewis Powell authors the Boston versus Bellotti decision, which said that corporations are people too, and corporations, if they want to pour enormous amounts of money into political campaigns, or billionaires as well, by the way, they want to pour enormous amounts of money into political campaigns, you know, from, from literally the George Washington administration to the Reagan administration, or, or the Nixon administration, rather. This was 78, I guess. Actually, I guess this was the Carter administration. But from, from that period of time, uh, when, politician, when, when politicians took money from big corporations or from billionaires, it was legally, morally, and politically considered corruption. In fact, it was considered bribery. People went to jail for this. But the Supreme Court, Lewis Powell, authored the decision in 1978, said, no, 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 that's just First Amendment free speech. Money isn't money. Money is speech. And corporations aren't legal fictions. They're persons. And, of course, with Citizens United in 2010, the Supreme Court doubled and tripled down on it, striking down hundreds of more laws all across the country, good government laws. So first we were poisoned, our democracy was poisoned by big money, by the Supreme Court. Next came the poisonous memes designed to turn working people against each other. The morbidly rich and the corporations that made them that way, they hate labor unions. And so they started this campaign to convince average working people that union bosses were somehow getting rich off the unions and screwing their workers, which is totally bizarre logic. I mean, in a corporation, the CEO can get rich by taking dividends and by owning stock and, and, you know, goosing the stock value or the stock price, rather, by buying back, you know, having the corporation buy back its shares. There's all kinds of ways the CEOs can basically rip off their workers and their companies. But union bosses take a salary from the union. There's no bonus. There's no stock options. There's none of that stuff. So it was a complete lie, but the Republicans started promoting this in the 70s, and it became a real thing in the 80s. Reagan promoted this like crazy. TV shows in the 80s and 90s even started picking up themes of corrupt unions. I, I remember seeing this uh, went back a year or so ago when Louise and I binge-watched the old Cagney and Lacey episodes, which are a real, real insight into the late 80s, early 90s. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, you know, several of, the several of the stories were about, you know, corrupt union bosses. And yeah, there were a few union bosses like Jimmy Hoffa who were in with the mob, but they were the exception to the rule. And the Justice Department, frankly, was taking them down. But in any case, you know, right-wing news, Rush, Rush Limbaugh, Fox News, they echoed this. And, and then, you know, the state after state started signing up for right-to-work-for-less laws. And pretty soon we went from one third of America having good union jobs when Reagan came into office to today it's about 6% in the private workforce. It's, it's bizarre. So then there came the poisoning of race relations. Conservatives wanted to use race as a weapon to, to cleave particularly white voters from everybody else and from Democrats who were supporting you know, good racial relations in the United States. Uh, this is, a, again, a relatively new thing. I, yes, racism goes back forever. But in the 60s and 70s, we were making serious progress. We passed the Voting Rights Act. We passed the, the and it was bipartisan, by the way. And Americans widely supported this, the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act of 64 and 65, or the other way around. 
Um, these, these were passed with the broad support of Americans. We started seeing black people on TV being portrayed as something other than buffoons or, or clowns or bad guys. Norman Lear really led this, my, my, an old, uh, old and dear friend, Norman Lear. He was now 100 years old um, and still kicking and still doing well. I, I spoke with him on the phone just the other night. Uh, Norman Lear's genius brought these folks to TV and, and you know we started seeing positive black faces on TV starting in the 90s and, and you know, now more and more. But Nixon's strategies, uh, his Southern strategy, really kicked this off. And then in 1998, George Herbert Walker Bush with his Willie Horton ads proved that it was still possible to win elections simply by appealing to white racism. And thus, you know, that you can, I think you can draw a straight line from that to Donald Trump declaring Mexicans as rapists. Then the next poison that we came was hustlers with help from the GOP poisoned Christianity. You know, Jerry Falwell and all this stuff saying to Pat Robertson, well, you know, the abortionists have some, have to bear some burden for 9-11 because God will not be mocked. And when we destroy 40 million little innocent babies, we make God mad. I really believe the, the pagans and the abortionists and the feminists and the gays and the lesbians who are actively trying to make that an alternative lifestyle, the ACLU, People for the American Way, which, by the way, Norman Lear started. All of them have tried to secularize America. I point the finger in their face and say, you helped this happen. And Pat Robertson, yeah, I totally concur. And the problem is we've adopted that agenda at the highest levels of our government. I mean, you know, this was the poisoning of religion by the Republican Party. Then the NRA and weapons manufacturers poured the poison of guns across the land. You know, the average number of guns per 100 people in most Western countries is, is in the neighborhood of 20 per 100. Here it's 120 per 100. We are number one in the world. Number two is Yemen with 50 per 100 people. But, uh, you know, everybody else in, 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 in Asia, in South Korea, Taiwan, Japan, it's less than one per 100 people. And even in Afghanistan and Iraq, it's about 20 per deadly weapons per people. So, you know, that poisoned us. And now we have the number, the leading cause of, of death for children in the United States is no longer car accidents, it's guns. Then white supremacists, they're doing their best to poison our police and our military. Multiple reports, uh, the one I quote in the articles from ABC, about how they're infiltrating the military and the police, these right-wing uh, hate mongers. And then the semi-fascist MAGA Republicans are poisoning our system of governance. Multiple Republican states trying to make it harder for people to vote and all that kind of stuff. The Brennan Center documents this really well. They're poisoning our social and news media, you know, from, from Russian trolls to, to, to CNN getting rid of anybody who dares criticize Donald Trump or, the, or Republicans. Um, our news media is going. Putin, Trump, Orban, Xi, and other autocrats are trying to poison democracies worldwide. Donald Trump was helping them out with this. He famously embraced all these autocrats and dictators and sheikhs and killers and then snubbed the leaders of democracies, tried to destroy NATO, dissed the United Nations, and his family received a $2 billion gift from Mohammed bin Salman in exchange, apparently, for this. And God only knows how many billions they wired into his offshore accounts, into Donald Trump's. And meanwhile, Russian and Chinese intelligence services are running disinformation campaigns on TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, all over the place, all across social media. So what's the antidote to all this poison that the Republican Party and so-called conservatives and racists and fascists have been pouring into America? 
The antidote, as Franklin Roosevelt and Henry Wallace pointed out back in the day, is civic engagement. We need to double down on voting. We need to make sure everybody we know is voting. We need to inform our friends and neighbors. We need to share the word. We need to tell people what's going on and get Democrats, get, well, get these Republicans, particularly the Republicans who are the Trump humpers. 60% of Americans this fall will have a Trump humping election denying Republican on the ballot for whom they can vote or against whom they can vote. 60% of Americans. I mean, this is breathtaking. So, you know, 40 years of Reaganism has gutted America and laid the basis for this. Biden and the Democrats are off to a good start, but they need more people. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We'll be back. I'll tell you about uh, grifter Steve Bannon and what he's up to, what he's going through today. And, and we'll pick up your phone calls on the news of the day. Stick around. So here's what's going on with Steve Bannon. You'll recall a couple of years ago, he started this, or he and a couple of friends, started this charity, this Build the Wall charity. We Build the Wall was the name of it. And they raised, uh, according to the court reports, some $25 million from, you know, just average Trump humpers around the country. People, people who were freaked out that brown people were coming to take their jobs or rape their women or whatever, you know, Trump was telling them. And they poured this money into Bannon and his two buddies. And what did Bannon and his buddies do with it? Well, according to the federal government, they spent it on themselves. You know, they, they made this feeble effort to build a little tiny piece of wall that they could take pictures of. But, uh, you know, the large quantities of this money just ended up in their pockets. They claim Bannon walked away with a million bucks. And he was arrested for this. In fact, he was arrested by the Postal Service because they, this was postal fraud. People were mailing him checks. He was arrested by the Postal Police on the yacht of a Chinese billionaire. I mean, it doesn't get weirder than this, right? Here's Steve Bannon on the yacht of a Chinese billionaire being arrested for defrauding Trump humpers. And he goes back on the air and talks to those same Trump humpers and tells them how he's the victim. They're the victims, right? They're the people he talked to sending him a million dollars that he was, uh, well, you know, you get the point anyway. So he got prosecuted for that. He was convicted of that, I believe, or, or was in the process of getting convicted. And Donald Trump stopped the whole thing by pardoning him. So he went back to being, you know, a, a right-wing radio host or podcast host. And, you know, now the state of New York is saying, well, hey, you know, it's not double jeopardy. You were prosecuted by the federal government. We're the state government. We can tweak this a little bit so it's a slightly different charge. But it's basically around the same crime. And we're going to put your ass in jail. He had to turn himself in to the, uh, to the authorities in New York. He's probably going to spend the day with them, you know, giving testimony and having his lawyer fight this and that and doing whatever he does. And the odds are by this evening, the judge will release him on his own recognizance. I don't think that they think of him as a flight risk. Although, frankly, if you or I were involved in a multi-million dollar fraud, I'm guessing our asses would be in jail for a long, long time, or our, our butts would be. Forgive me, I don't need to swear here. So just FYI, I, you know, when you're talking to your Trump humping friends, I think one of the most important points to make is that it was Trump humpers that Bannon ripped off. I don't understand why these people are still listening to him. He stole from them.
Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Randy in Ottawa, Iowa. Hey, Randy, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Uh, I was inspired by your uh, opening rant and uh, your call to get involved in, uh, uh, in, this, in this election that's coming up. I want to refer to the uh, – I think the number was about 70 percent of the, the voters in the Kansas decision not to allow an abortion ban were single-issue voters. They did not vote down ticket. 70 percent did not vote down tickets. Seriously? Are you sure of that? I believe that's what it was. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure of the number. Yeah. But a large majority of those that voted were single issue voters. That's interesting. I didn't realize. Well, that. so the thing is that your call to arms is that educating or putting the information out there. We're sending out postcards of flyers with the down ballot. Uh, here in Western Iowa, with the down ballot people who are running on the ballot as well, right? So that the single issue voters, the women or whoever, are upset with you know what's going on in the, the Republican Party or at all. Yes, sir. That <clears throat> that they are informed that these are the people that you can vote for who are not going to take away your personal rights and are not a Trump humper, not mm. going to lie to you on a constant basis. So right. I think that's the key. Yeah. It's educating and giving the information to those potential voters who are going to the poll for the first time in a great while or in a while. Yeah. Makes and, a lot of sense um, to me. They need to. Yep. They need to know. So have a great day and thank you for everything you do, Tom. Oh, you're have welcome. A- thank you, Randy. It's always nice to hear from you. I appreciate the yep. call. Bill in Sierra Blanca, Texas. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I wanted to make a comment about the Steve Bannon scam, the we build a wall people. Yeah, I work as a yeah, I work as a I've worked as a consultant for the city of Sunland Park, New Mexico. I'm also a rancher. I've called in before and because we oppose the border wall across our farm and ranch. It's about 80 miles east of El Paso. Mm. But Sunland Park, New Mexico is just right next to El Paso. The we build a wall people 
it was back in what is it, when, when was it 2019? They I, yeah, they I quickly so. erected a border wall across Mount Crystal Way. It's a religious site with a huge statue of um, Jesus Christ at the top of it. It's been there since 1916. But anyway, the city of Sunland Park, which is about 16,000 people, right next to El Paso, and they came back from the weekend that already uh, put up the border wall, a 20-foot wall, about three miles across this private property of American Eagle Brick Company, which is makes bricks. The landowner let them do it. Mm-hmm. And they sent the police over there to for code enforcement because they've never got any permits. It's in the city of Sullen Park, Mount Cristo Reyes. Mm-hmm. It's a landmark in El Paso and Sullen Park, New Mexico. Anyway, the founders of, uh, you know, Steve Bannon and his, his cohort, I forget that other guy's name, they, they, they went online and started saying that, uh, that the city of Sullen Park was corrupt and aiding and abetting, you know, massive illegal immigration, and they started getting all these death threats. The mayor got severe death threats really? from all over the United States. Because of Steve um, Bannon's podcast. Well, I don't know if it was his podcast. I think you can, you can find, I, I should have gone and read the article, because there's an article about this back from 2019 in the El Paso Times. Your viewers can can look at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but in any case, um, uh, Mayor Parea, I mean, they called him the worst racial epithets that you can think of. I won't repeat them on the air. Mm -hmm. They're just too bad. Thank you. But uh, what was that guy, Brian Coleridge or whatever? He's a U.S. Air Force veteran. He led that group with Chris Kobach and the former Kansas Secretary of State. Oh, the whole interstate cross-check thing? And Steve Steve Bannon. Mm. And they're the ones that were getting all that money. And it's just, it's so ugly, Tom. They put lights on it. And that, that beautiful mountain, and, you know, people go up at religious pilgrimages. Uh, the Catholic bishop leads it every year up to the top of Mount Crystal Ray. And now there's this huge wall, and they, they, they bulldozed, you know, they had to bulldoze because it's steep mm-hmm. all, all the way across it. Anyway, I just wanted to mention all that because it, it, the city of Sunland Park was just in, you know, they were, of course, opposed to the wall going across their city. Oh, a part of their city. It's on the outskirts. But uh, they, so not only was the wall a scam and a ripoff, it was ugly. And the people who live where the wall was built didn't want it. No, it's, it's a city of 16,000 people right next to El Paso in New Mexico. And none of them wanted it. That's amazing. And, 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 yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to offer that, Tom. That's amazing. Well, thank you. That, you know, Bill, you, you're a guy, you know, there in Sierra Blanco, Texas. You're, you're a guy who has the firsthand information on the ground. I mean, that's, that's valuable stuff. Thank you so much for calling and sharing that and informing all our listeners. I, I truly appreciate it. Bill, thank you. And, and thanks for listening to the program. Tom in Seattle. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today? Yeah, hello, Tom. appreciate your program. Thank you. Uh, a couple of weeks or so ago, someone called up and said our priorities should be um, uh, gun control and... Um, in abortion legislation, well, I completely disagree. Uh, those things are just going to go on forever. And we've already lost the gun control thing. And there's so many guns out there now. Anytime we talk about it, people just rush to the gun stores. Uh, there's a guy in your radio market right now that's advertising, you better go and get your um, 
high-capacity magazines because Governor Inslee's going to get rid of them. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I think in the long run, it's the, the oligarchy is getting bigger and and the middle class is getting smaller. In the long run, I don't think you can run a democracy like that. Yeah, you're right, and, and it's all true. By the way, have you heard of AGED, A-G-E-D, the new uh, acronym that Democrats are using for, uh, heading into this election? No, I it's, haven't heard It of that. speaks to the issue that you just brought up, A-G-E-D. This is the new, remember when Bill Clinton was running, uh, they had this sign over the door in his, in his uh, campaign office that said, it's the economy, stupid. Well, this is the, the new version of that. And the A-G-E-D is an acronym, and it stands for Abortion, Guns, Environment, and Democracy. That Democratic candidates need to focus on these four issues in that order, if they want to win elections, they need to talk about abortion rights. They need to talk about gun slaughters and, and how we need to do something about that. And, you know, have a, at the very least an assault weapons ban, uh, how the environment is melting down and it's literally killing Americans. And we need to do something about that and how democracy is at risk because these MAGA Republicans don't, you know, they're fascists. They don't believe in democracy. They want to replace our country, our system of government with a strongman, you know, oligarchic autocracy. And I think it's really cool. I just, I just, frankly, I just learned about it last night. You know, so the Democrats are on it, Tom, if that helps. Well, well I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Good luck. Me too. Thanks a lot, Tom. Great to hear from you. Oh, I did want to share one story with you. I, the, the, we are still awash in guns. And uh, you know, in the United States, we have 120 guns for every 100 people. The, the next worst country... Uh, has 56 guns per 100 people, and it is in the middle of a war. Um, I, I believe it's, uh, what's the country that Saudi Arabia is attacking right constantly right now? Yemen. Thank you, Sean. Uh, Yemen is 56 guns per 100 people. Every other country in the world is below 30 guns per 100 people, and the average for most of your developed countries in the world is under 20 guns for every 100 people. And in, in Asia, in, Mexi in, uh, excuse me, in Japan, in, in South Korea, in Taiwan, it's less than one gun per 100 people. But here we've got 120 guns for every 100 people. That, you know, thank, and by the way, most of this happened. We were at around 30 guns for every 100 people when Ronald Reagan came into office. This has all happened in the last 40 years, and it's all happened because the Supreme Court said that the NRA could use their money to buy politicians, and they did. And so now in Uvalde, we've got another shooting. Not a school shooting, but it was in a park. But, I mean, you know, this is, and, and, and it's not obviously just Uvalde. We have a serious gun crisis in this country, and we must do something about it. It is when, when more children are dying from guns every year than car accidents, which used to be the number one killer of children. When more children are dying from guns than from car accidents, you know you've crossed some horrible threshold. And we must do something about this. And this is why I, you know, I increasingly I'm seeing Democrats, you know, Beto O'Rourke is the best known on this, but I'm seeing Democrats campaigning on this, this core AGED set of set of issues, you know, abortion, guns, the environment and democracy. These are the four issues that I think are going to take the, the Democrats to success this fall, uh, particularly if they if they do it right.
and they properly and appropriately reflect the genuine crises that America is facing. So let's pick up your phone calls. Christina in Columbia, South Carolina. Hey, Christina, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I was listening to the radio yesterday, and I happened upon a local radio station um, airing Sean Hannity's radio show, which I have never listened to, but my parents are conservatives, and they watch Fox News all the time, and it's my, my husband and I do not. We're in a opposing uh, household in that, that point of view, but um, I decided just to give a few minutes listen to see if I heard anything interesting, and he actually had Bill O'Reilly on, and... I didn't hear anything that didn't surprise me. It was, you know, a lot more of the same. I did find it interesting that they were pushing, you know, how Democrats say um, democracy is on the ballot this midterm. They were saying freedom is on the ballot this midterm. And right. their definition of freedom is, you know, we need to vote for tax cuts on the rich. We need to vote for capitalism. We need to vote for closed borders, not open borders. And so this is this was the conversation Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity were having. But then what I did find interesting was they both agreed, and I think it was Sean Hannity that said, what Republicans should not focus on is Trump being on the ballot. They actually said Republicans and and conservatives need to remember Trump is not on the ballot this midterm. They need to stop acting like Trump is on the ballot this midterm and just focus on what the people want and, and kind of shedding that point of view, which I thought was interesting. And so they were gearing the conversation towards how, you know, Democrats are just Democrats are the real fascists and blah, blah, blah. But the people should be focusing on the real issues at stake. Like, as I already said, tax cuts, capitalism, closed borders and that such. But um, I just thought it was weird that they were like, we need to stop focusing on Trump because he's not running yet. He's not actually in this midterm election. And Sean Hannity was praising Kevin McCarthy for introducing or about to be introducing his uh, platform of ideas for the party. And he actually said he wishes the Senate would do that. Yeah, well, the Senate has done that. Rick Scott put it forward. Let's privatize Social Security. Let's privatize Medicare. Let's have more tax cuts for billionaires. I mean, it's bizarre. But uh, yeah, even I, Mitch McConnell like doesn't want to stick with that. Right? I know Mitch McConnell's the one that keeps saying we shouldn't after until after the election. We'll tell you what we're going to do after we win. Right, exactly. Which which is uh, by the way an echo of something he said two years ago and four years ago. But uh, right. you know, I think. My guess is that something came down from on high at, at Fox News, that whether it was Lachlan Murdoch or you know somebody a little more pragmatic in the leadership of the news department, I think that they've thrown Trump under the bus. I mean, he went on this tirade on Truth Social, you know, his Nazi-infested social media site about how Fox News had uh, become, uh, what I forget the word he used, but basically that he was unhappy that Fox News was no longer sucking up to him. And they've been, I mean, you know, Brian Kilmeade, actually a number of their people, uh, one of the guys, uh, well, Brian's on Fox and Friends, Brett Baer, several of their people on the air have come right out and said, uh, and they had Bill Barr on, of course, twice saying this, you know, what the hell is he doing with all these top secret documents down at Mar-a-Lago? This is wrong. It shouldn't be. And yes, that's Bill, Bill Barr shocking. has been very damning, which I, you know I think is definitely hurting. And I, I just find it interesting that that was yeah. both Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity were on the same page about it. So. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. We're seeing, uh, and you know I was predicting this months ago, but what we're seeing right now is the Republican Party trying to turn away from Trump and going back to just being the party that you know basically takes money from the Koch brothers and the other billionaires. Christine, I got to run, but thank you for the call.
As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. So are you uh, familiar with PrEP? It's pre-exposure prophylaxis, and it's a uh, basically kind of a drug routine that people who might be at risk of getting HIV take to reduce their risk of contracting HIV. And it, you know, it's a, it, this is a pharmaceutical. It's available by prescription. You have to go to a doctor, and there's a, a fee for it. You have to pay for drugs, right? And so this company uh, owned a business, two businesses actually, owned by uh, so-called Christians, and six individuals joined them, these two businesses and these six individuals. Um, they sued at federal court and a, a went before a right-wing federal judge in Texas and said that the insurance that our companies are, that we are paying, we, we are paying for insurance for our employees, and that insurance covers these PrEP drugs, these anti-HIV drugs. And basically what they said is that they so hate uh, gay men or gay people. I guess, you know, this is a problem for women as well, but particularly for gay men. Um, that they think that the insurance company should not pay for the doctor's visits or the drugs for prevention of HIV. And the federal judge agreed with them. U.S. District Judge Reed O'Connor ruled in a case called Braidwood Management versus Xavier Becerra, who of course is the head of HHS, that the Affordable Care Act's requirement that insurance and employers cover pre-exposure prophylactics or PrEP infringes upon the liberty, the religious liberty of the company under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Alejandro Caballero, an instructor at the Harvard uh, Cyber Law Clinic, said this is monstrous. No one's religious beliefs should ever prevent access to essential life-saving medication. Representative Cory Bush, the Democrat from Missouri, tweeted, quote, allowing employers to deny coverage for PrEP, a life-saving medication that prevents the spread of HIV, threatens the lives of our most vulnerable communities. We cannot and will not stand for this. But the courts have already done it. If it gets appealed, it's going to go probably to the Supreme Court. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's getting weird out there. It's getting very, very weird out there. In his ruling, O'Connor wrote that the Department of Health and Human Services did not offer any, quote, compelling evidence that, quote, private religious corporations. Now, keep in mind, these are businesses that just happen to be owned by people who are, like, over-the-top, nut-job Taliban Christians. Anyhow, he says uh, they did not offer any compelling evidence that private religious corporations should be forced to cover PrEP with no cost sharing and no religious exemptions. And he also con concurred with their agreement that the uh, 
the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, which makes recommendations on what qualifies as preventative care, is unconstitutional because, quote, it wields a power to compel private action that resembles legislative authority, end quote. Now, this is a judge that was appointed by George W. Bush. He wasn't one of the Trumpy judges. Um, and he's authored numerous rulings against the Affordable Care Act, including one in 2018 that, de that just declared Obamacare in total unconstitutional. It got overturned. And uh, the, the, Christopher Wiggins, the senior national reporter at the LGBTQ plus news site, The Advocate. I remember The Advocate. That go, the Advocate was being published back when I was in college. Uh, they, they wrote, O'Connor's ruling, quote, could potentially jeopardize free access to other services, including cancer screenings, medical screenings for pregnant women, and some counseling services against the country. All it takes is some crazed religious guy to say, oh, no, that's, you know, that's against my religion. For example, uh, you know, throat cancer is sometimes, and, and uh, uh, I, I don't recall if it's uterine or cervical cancer. I, I guess it's cervical cancer, sometimes caused by uh, genital warts, by this papillomavirus, and, uh, you know, which people typically get through sexual activity. So when, when are we going to have right-wingers saying, oh, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't cover throat cancer. You shouldn't cover, you know, the, the cervical cancer because... That comes from sexual activity that might have been extramarital and therefore it offends my religious sensibilities. Or, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I mean this, I, where does this end? Right-wingers are fond of talking about slippery slopes. Uh, I mean, this is obviously not the beginning of a slippery slope. This is like halfway down the road, you know, halfway down the toboggan slide, uh, really. Uh, Nina Turner, former Ohio State Senator Nina Turner, she said, which religion bars you from preventing HIV? Well, fundamentalist Christianity. They believe that HIV is God's punishment for gay sex or being gay. I mean, this is just, this is just the bottom line for these people. They are hateful bigots, and they want their hateful interpretation of, of Jesus' words, who were not hateful. They want their hateful interpretation of Christianity to be the law of the land, and there are more than enough right-wing judges out there appointed by people like George W. Bush and Donald Trump. And, uh, you know, if this gets to the Supreme Court, God help us all, right, to make this happen. This is terrible. We'll be back with your calls after this. Rodney in Davis, California. Hey, Rodney, what's on your mind? Hey, good morning, Tom. I uh, enjoy your program Thank and, you. uh, very much. And also, um, with regard to inflation and in general capitalism, I think we need to think, remember that the corporations did a similar kind of uh, economic upset with Chile in '73, and that brought down a. Oh, yeah, they helped. Yeah, there, there was huge corporate support for Pinochet. You're absolutely right. Well, they did it. They it was their plan. It was their program. Yeah, it was funded. Well, actually, it was funded more by American corporations. It and T was the biggest. That's, that's what I'm saying. It was an American corporation operation similar to what they tried with Roosevelt, but they actually succeeded in Chile. And you're you're absolutely right. There's a whole chapter about that, actually, in my new book, uh, The Hidden History of Neoliberalism, How Reaganism well, Gutted America. It'd be a good addition to your rant, yeah. because it, it illustrates exactly what's going on today in the United States yeah. with Biden. So you agree with my so, hypothesis that part of our inflation, obviously, you know, some of it has to do with the price of oil and the war in uh, Ukraine and whatnot, but that part of the inflation that we're experiencing today is part of a plan by corporate America to upset the elections in favor of Republicans. Oh, yeah. 
it's an oligarchic plan. I mean, it's uh, it's you know obvious. I think. Yeah. Okay. And I am an extremist. Yeah. So I know a little bit about this. So last Friday at the end of your program, a person called in to talk about the collapse of World Trade Seven. Right. World Trade. I remember. You immediately cut him off and said it was a, a result of the... I didn't immediately cut him off. I cut him off because we hit the end of the show. But, but yeah, I, okay. I disagree. I, I think that uh, the, the Building 7 collapsed because the 10,000 gallons of fuel oil on, on the top of it got pierced by, what do you call it, shrapnel from the other buildings and caught on fire and, and did the same thing to that building that the other buildings did. And right, which is, by the way, the official story. Actually, that official story has been changed quite a few years ago. They've admitted that fire didn't bring it down. There was no diesel oil fire evident in the footage of the film as it started to collapse or in the... In the so you think somebody of, got in the building, wired it with explosives, and just at the moment that the I, guy who owned the building on camera said we should take the building down, they thought, oh, gee, let's blow it up right now and make it look like he did it. No, that's not exactly what, what I'm getting at. I am getting at that that NIST, since they disclaimed the fire theory, has admitted that the building did indeed fall at free fall rate for several seconds during its collapse, and that that is impossible as a result of a fire. Do you think it's possible that the collapse of the other two buildings within uh, you know, a few hundred feet of it destabilized the building enough? I mean, the, the ground shook, destabilized the building no, enough that that it, caused the collapse? I, Destabilization also would not allow for a symmetrical collapse at freefall. So, what's your hypothesis here, Rodney? Well, let me show. Let me illustrate, uh, suggest one other thing to think to think about and look at. A part of the one of the World Trade Centers, and I forget now which one it was. If you think of the World Trade Center as a series of like child's building blocks, let's say let's say ten ten of them tall. The top block actually started falling off as a whole unit, you know, and it got to about uh, something between 30 and 40 degrees, and then it just it just it turned into dust. And so the block never hit the, the sidewalk. So there is something, you know, and then there's the whole issue of the nanothermite particles that were found, unexploded nanothermite particles that were found in the dust. Possibly, um, yeah. No, it's it, not possible. They, it was real, and there was also... Um, so if somebody iron, wired the building to blow it up, Rodney, we got 15 seconds here before we hit a break. If somebody wired the building to blow up, who? Well, we don't know that because there's never been an investigation of the real story of what yeah. happened. You yeah. mean, I'm still not buying it, Rodney. I'm sorry. You haven't convinced me. I'm still not buying it. But, you know, hey, I don't mean that dismissively. Uh, you know, show me some evidence and I'll, I'll listen. It's your media support group for We the People, democracy here and around the world. It's Tom Hartman University Book Club in the weeks after 9-11. Rodale Press reached out to a bunch of folks, me, the Dalai Lama, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, uh, Rabbi David Wolpe, Thich Nhat Hanh, Chuck Colson, Neil Donald Walsh, and asked for thoughts about a spiritual response to the attack on America. The result was a book, From the Ashes. And this is from the chapter that I wrote, The Goddess of Democracy, A Sacred Archetype to Heal the World. 
People argue that the terrorist attacks against the United States reflect a war between one religion and another, or between the poor and rich of the world. While there may be an element of truth to each, I'd suggest that the real war here is between the 11th century and the 21st century. And until our leaders figure that out, we may miss some great opportunities. Back in the dark and Middle Ages, the Catholic Church ruled Europe. Women were often forbidden to go out in public unless properly covered, and were explicitly the property of men. Justice was swift and severe, ranging from disfigurement to torture to death in horrific ways, and most often meted out with the approval or supervision of clerics. The power behind the power of all the royal families of Europe was the Pope. On November 27, 1095, Pope Urban gave one of history's most famous speeches to the Council of Clermont in France, calling for a holy war against Islam to unite factious Europe. Dr. E.L. Skip Knox of Boise State University in Idaho summarized the Pope's speech. The noble race of Franks must come to the aid of their fellow Christians in the East. The infidel Turks are advancing into the heart of Eastern Christendom. Christians are being oppressed and attacked. Churches and holy places are being defiled. Jerusalem is groaning under the Saracen yoke. The Holy Sepulcher is in Muslim hands and has been turned into a mosque. The Franks must stop their internal wars and squabbles. Let them go instead against the infidel and fight a righteous war. God himself will lead them, for they will be doing his work. There will be absolution and remission of sins for all who die in the service of Christ. Here they are poor and miserable sinners. There they will be rich and happy. Let none hesitate. They must march next summer. God wills it. Thus began a war between two different medieval cultures, 11th century Catholic and 11th century Muslim. Over the next few centuries, the Catholics, with their battle cry of Dies Volt, God wills it, were often victorious against the Muslims, whose only crime defined by the Pope was that they were living in the Holy Land of the Catholic Church. Medieval historian Raymond of Aguiles wrote the following eyewitness account of the attack and seizure of Jerusalem in 1099 by the triumphant Christian crusaders. Quote, some of our men cut off the heads of their enemies. Others shot them with arrows so they fell from the towers. Others tortured them longer by casting them into the flames. Piles of heads, hand, and feet were to be seen in the streets of the city. It was necessary to pick one's way over the bodies of men and horses. But there were, these were small matters compared to what happened at the Temple of Solomon, a place where religious services were ordinarily chanted. What happened there? If I tell the truth, it will exceed your powers of belief. So let it suffice to say... This much at least, that in the temple and portico of Solomon, men rode in blood up to their knees and bridle reins. End of quote. In the 900 or so years since the early Crusades, both Christianity and Islam have undergone profound changes. The Protestant Reformation shook Christianity to its core, and the Renaissance in Europe wrought huge transformations in both Christianity and Judaism. Perhaps the most critical change came about in the 18th century when Jefferson, Madison, Franklin, and others synthesized the highest ideals of Greek, Roman, and Iroquois thought and culture to create the United States of America. In doing that, they ignited the flame of liberty, bringing into the world an archetype that to this day inspires hope worldwide. As America grew and our ideas of Republican democracy spread around the world, further transformations of the world took place. Another turning point was when modern science challenged the medieval worldview of the church in the Scopes Monkey Trial of 1925. Although Clarence Darrow lost that case, its widespread publicity began a dramatic and lasting process of change across the world. 
The American dream is a powerful and pervasive force in the world, even if the sometimes imperialistic behavior of our transnational corporations is often at odds with our own ideals. That dream has wafted over the entire world and is still so powerful that people are willing to die for it. In China, the Tiananmen Square protesters marched to their doom in 1989, carrying a 37-foot-tall papier-mâché replica of the Statue of Liberty, which they had renamed the Goddess of Democracy. Of course, there are still pockets of medieval perspective in the Christian world. The post-disaster comments of Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson, who said they had just witnessed the wrath of their God, who had lifted the veil and allowed the terrorists to act because of their God's anger over homosexuals, liberals, and the ACLU, reveals that such a worldview is still alive and well in a small fringe of Christianity. Some Christians are still today willing to commit terrorist acts of murder or mass murder, Timothy McVeigh and those who murdered numerous abortion providers all claim their acts are grounded in Christianity and biblical teachings. And just as 21st century Christianity still has its own pockets of medieval worldview, so does 21st century Islam. And then it gets into, you know, how these reformations happen and what we hope to see in, among those right-wing crazies in Islam. The book is From the Ashes, A Spiritual Response to the Attack on America. Dan in Las Vegas. Hey, Dan, what's up? Hey, Tom. Third time caller, long time listener. Thanks for having me on, and thank you for your good work uh, helping trying to keep some of us sane out here in the world. I wanted to touch a little bit upon the Building 7 conversation you had earlier with a previous caller. Outside, besides looking at the physics of what occurred, I want to look at who benefited and some of the facts that you may find interesting that have been reported by mainstream media since. The Building 7 complex was the largest office for the CIA outside of Langley, Virginia. It also not only housed the FEMA response uh, headquarters put there by Rudy Colludi Giuliani after the 1993 World Trade Center bombing, but it had the SEC file storage uh, location where once Building 7 was destroyed on 9-11, all your WorldCom and Enron files evaporated. So those cases died on the vine. We had Ken Lay, we had the uh, CEO of Enron, they were prosecuted skilling. They got in trouble. But beyond that, we never heard a word of yeah. any other prosecutions, but, any other. But Dan, correlation is not causation. I mean, you know, yes, there were the, those yeah. buildings had a whole lot of build, uh, offices in them and probably some of them were up to some skeezy stuff and others were critical infrastructure and quack, quack, quack. But, you know, the idea that somebody in the United States either ran 9-11 or knew that the Saudis were going to do 9-11 or bin Laden was going to do 9-11 and said, oh, gee, let's wire up this building with, with a plastic explosive in advance and get ready for it. It's just crazy. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. I just can't go there, Dan. Tom, and I, I get it. I understand that. And I, had, I was apprehensive to looking at this. But when you, when you see a gentleman... Uh, I, I have watched uh, the movies. You know, back in the day, we had... Okay. Oh, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, Three-name guy, David something-something, um, on the program multiple times. I mean, we've I've watched at least five of the, do the so-called documentaries on 9-11. Yep. It still doesn't make sense to me that 
this was anything more than bin Laden and, and 19 of his fanatics who had a lucky hit against the United States and it got wildly exploited by George W. Bush and used as a rationale to invade a country that had absolutely nothing to do with it and bundle the whole family of bin Laden out of the country. So that's my position, Dan. I'm not moving. Dan, thank you for the call. John in Los Angeles. Hey, John, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking the call. I will make this quick. But first of all, I would just like to say thank you for everything you do. I read you a lot, including your book on ADHD, which has helped this 72-year-old man a lot. Good. Thank Thank you. And the other thing is that speaking of books, I think around 2006, John Dean wrote a book, Conservatives Without Conscience. Are yes. you familiar with it? I am. John Dean yeah, has been I on this did. program many times discussing it with me. Right. And I just wanted to say, he predicted this, the Republican Party, the way they are now. But little did he know it was going to get worse than what he predicted. Yeah. yeah. And the, the other thing is this. I'm just going to ask you this and ask your opinion, and then I'm done. Uh, after I read your report about you know, the uh, Donald Trump conspiracy and what was going on, what you thought with Russia and all the foreign governments. I've been saying this to my friends for a long time, but I didn't, only to certain people because I didn't want to sound like a crazy alarmist. But I'll ask you, do you think that Melania Trump is a red sparrow? I don't know. I, I really, I really don't know. And I don't know how much influ- influence she has over her husband. Uh, you know, she did grow up in what was a communist country at the time. Uh, she did come to the United States under some very questionable circumstances, and even her visa is under questionable circumstance. But whether that means anything malicious or worrisome, I frankly don't know. John, thanks for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Robert, in uh, Yampa, Colorado? Am I saying that right, Robert? Yes, you are. Um, Tom, I have a suggestion. You often ask us, or suggest that we call our politician, mm-hmm. and oftentimes the line is hard to get through. My solution is I just Google the politician's name, and you get a list of all their state locations, and they're a lot easier to get through to. Well, and not only that, it has greater impact because the the yeah. local offices are are perceived as being you know where the people are you know closest to the people, as it were. So when you call a politician's local office and say, you know, please support the, you know, uh, Elizabeth Warren's new bill to bring back unions and, you know, overturn Taft-Hartley or, or whatever it may be, um, you know, when you do that, uh, it, 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 they take it more seriously. So good, good idea, Robert. Robert, thank you very much for that. Appreciate the call. Charles in Miami. Hey, Charles, what's up? Hey, Tom, how you doing? Good. Love you, too. Thank you. And, and, um, Right, and, and just to segue to where you're going, this is my topic today about solar panels. Mm-hmm. Um, about solar panels. I want to know, can the Democrats do anything before this, um, you know, this session is over with? Um, can, I, don't, I don't know if it's going to be subsidies, but there's got to be some type of loophole that, you know, instead of um, getting discounts or rebates, just give us whatever solar, um, give homeowners, and give low-income people, you know, solar panels. And I think, you know, if we have it in stock in, in any, any type of inventory, we should be able to give it out to the people. And what this would do to me would reduce emissions. It would um, reduce our dependence on oil. 
Um, in fact, to um, install those solar panels, you can hire people. It would also be a boost to the economy if we can do that. It would reduce inflation because, like I said, you know, different municipalities, you know, different subsidies that we give to low-income people for energy anyway, we will be, we will be, we will be reducing that consumption. Yeah. You know? And, and you know, I've, uh, Charles, I've, I've lived on rivers for the last 20 years, roughly, uh, on the Willamette, on, in, the, in the Potomac, and, and now on the Columbia River. And the Army Corps of Engineers has responsibility for the rivers. And, you know, when dredging happens and I mean, there's all, all kinds of stuff that, that you have to interact with the Army. And, and that's the defense budget that we're using to maintain our waterways because they're considered critical infrastructure. I would think that putting solar panels on every house in America would be an appropriate use for our military for national defense purposes to get us off the need for foreign oil. You know, we're, we're, we're still importing oil from Saudi Arabia. And, and uh, you know, I'm with Mark Pocan. We should redefine the word defense uh, since the defense budget seems to be so bulletproof. Okay, cool. Let's redefine the word defense and say, you know, we're going to defend America's energy systems just like we defend America's rivers. And, you know, have uh, part of the military out there putting solar panels on people's houses. What do you think? I, I agree. I'm also going to think about um, calling the Department of HUD and also even calling the White House on this suggestion. And I would just love if anybody that, you know, that's listening to you can, you know, think about it and try to do the same because what it would do, it would just strengthen our chances to win. And, and um, you know, just as far as these Republicans and all of these lies about making us think that they're Christians and they're not, um, just the hypocrisy on, um, you know, what this last judge did as far as taking mm. away uh, oh, judge making, cannon right yeah no 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 not that oh. one the other judge the other judge that um said that with um these insurance companies don't have to pay oh these companies yeah. Don't have to pay. yeah well jesus when jesus um you know they criticized him for healing people on the sabbath but he never said if you was a homosexual i won't heal you he never said that if you're a, a tax cheat i won't heal you he never said if you're a adulterer i won't heal you so what, you know, these people, they're lying through their teeth. They're not Christians. They're destroying uh, my religion just to, you know. Yeah, I'm with you, Charles. I'm with you. And excellent points all. Joan in Boulder, Colorado. Hey, Joan, what's on your mind today? Oh, hi, Tom. It's a privilege. I think the only purpose of government should be the care and prosperity of its people. Mm -hmm. Full stop. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, you know, promote the general welfare. It's right there in the preamble to the Constitution. It's also in Article yeah. 1, Section 8. The question I had, when 45 hopefully gets put in prison for espionage, doesn't that make every judge that he's appointed illegitimate? No. I'm hoping, no, it doesn't. Sadly. Oh, darn it. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't why it be not? nice to wipe three headed federal judges not? off the bench, but... Uh, the Supreme no. Court too, and they, yeah. they lied. The Supreme Court lied. I mean, doesn't their credibility is shot? Isn't there something that can be done about it? No, and 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 it's it's horrible what he did. I mean, this Judge Cannon down in Florida, I think, is the the best example. Thirty eight years old. She'd never tried a case in her life. She'd never yeah. written a brief of any kind that had been published anywhere or gone through any kind of peer review process. She was, you know, her only credential was that she was young. She was a hardcore right-wing Trump humper. 
and she was a member of the Federalist Society. That's it. And you can tell from her writings in this in these uh, in this case where Trump went, you know, jurisdiction shopping to try to put a stop to the FBI's prosecution of him or investigation of him anyway. You can tell by her writings that she doesn't know what she's doing. She's totally in under, uh, you know, over her head. God, you know, I, I, I would hate to be anybody who gets dragged before her courtroom for anything. I mean, this woman is fundamentally incompetent and probably stupid. <laughs> yeah. Well, can't the, can't the uh, Bar Association do something about it? The Bar it? Association I mean, can complain about her, but the only way that you could remove a federal judge is through impeachment. Okay. A lot of impeaching coming up in the future. I doubt it. But that, you know, from your lips to God's ears, Joan, I'd, I'd love to see it. I, you know, I, I think it's a pretty important thing. Joan, thank you for the call. Excuse me. Thank you. Hey, Regina in Sacramento. Hey, Regina, what's up? Thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Hi, thank you. I've listened to you for a long time, but this first time I called in, I'm totally blind, and I've been voting in every election since I was 18, but never privately nor independently. And you had said you don't see anything wrong with paper, going totally paper in the mail. That's the problem. For people that are print Voting machines for disabled people is fine with me. I'm I'm 100%. In favor. But also, too, we need a way to, um, there's there's several layers of that. Mm-hmm. We want to do some kind of electronic return, kind of like what they do in the military overseas, mm-hmm. now in many states, so that we can actually do it independently and privately. Because even with the machines, someone has to set it up, and they're often not set up. They also have to arm the machine and say what language. And one time... Um, I didn't realize the screen was on, and I was voting, and everyone was watching me vote until I realized it, and I turned off the screen, and they said, oh, we were watching you. And I said, you're not supposed to watch me vote. Like, they should have told me to turn that off. I had no way of knowing at that time because I was younger and dumber. Now I ask, is the screen on or off? Right. You know, and so there's a lot of issues, but we, I think, the new voter suppression is hitting disabled people really hard. I'm hearing that and, out of Texas in particular. Yes, and elderly, and a lot of people don't consider themselves disabled because they're elderly, but they, you know, they deal with the same barriers. Yeah, no, I get it. Regina, thank you. Thank you for recalibrating my position. I, I appreciate it, and, and, and uh, thank you very much for the call. Hey, special thanks to Louise Harmon, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer, Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick Hoyt, Geraldine Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jay LeBlanc, Al Gorilla Rhythm, Connor Arroyo, and Carna Verity, all the folks who work to make this program and our little chat room over on YouTube work. Thank you so much. And, and so get out there, get active, tag your it. We got a big election coming up. See you on Monday. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.